Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Have you ever had the opportunity to hear a rumor about yourself? <laughs> Started out there somewhere by someone, somehow, mishearing, misspeaking, who knows, travels around for a little bit, and somehow at the end of its trail, it finds you. And you hear something spectacular that you never knew before about something you supposedly did, or you said, or you thought, or you intended. And it's news to you. Very shocking. Many of you have had that experience. What you realize is there's you in the rumor, meaning you as you've been presented in this rumor, that version of you. But then there's you in real life, who you actually are. And it's a rumor because the two are separate. <laughs> They're not the same. There's a difference between them. That's the surprising thing. Now, for most of us, that's usually a pretty rare experience. Unfortunately, it's not at all a rare experience when it comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, as we're going to see in our text today, most of the things that are said about Jesus in the world by the design of Satan are rumors about Jesus that are presenting Jesus in the rumor as if that were really Jesus when there is a separate Jesus, Jesus as he actually is. And the two are not the same. You say, well, they're both talking about Jesus, but there's a different Jesus. Paul warned the Corinthians not to be led astray to a, quote, other Jesus. Somewhere, Someone today is reading a tract published by the Watchtower of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it says, quote, The true scriptures speak of God's Son, the Word, there's Jesus, as a God, He is a mighty God, but not the Almighty God who is Jehovah. Someone somewhere is reading another of their publications that says, quote, He was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God that rumor makes its way around to Jesus, as it certainly has. What? <laughs> Who started that? Who made that up out of their own head? That's Jesus in a rumor, believed by thousands and thousands today. That's not Jesus as he actually is presented in the scriptures. There's a zealous Mormon somewhere in the world today who is asserting that Jesus, before his incarnation, was the spirit brother of the devil. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Who made that up? Joseph Smith. That was a rumor invented out of a figment of an imagination. Where is that in the scriptures? It's not in there. You can read it cover to cover. It's not in there. What you find in the scriptures is Jesus as he actually is. But here are rumors that are spreading. Mary Baker Eddy, sort of the founding mother of the Church of Science, writes that Jesus is not God. Another rumor. Not true. Now, you may not interact with some of these cults, although they're everywhere, they're around, but you may be exposed instead to the more common rumors about Jesus, which are just born out of sort of our cultural moment. Being an American, so often you will hear someone say, my Jesus would never, and then what follows is something he did in the Bible, <laughs> like judge someone or speak of hell. 
So there's a rumor about who Jesus is, the sort of Americanized version of Jesus, but it's not Jesus as he actually is. And poor Jesus has to keep hearing these rumors about himself, which we circulate among ourselves, just because they're stated, even stated with an immense confidence. It does nothing for the reality of the rumor. If it's a rumor, if it's not Jesus as he actually is, as we find him in the scriptures, it's entirely invented. There's not like a particle of truth about it. It's invented out of a head somewhere. And it's not true. So what do you do with all these ideas about Jesus everywhere? You grew up with some. People around you have others. Go to any church around here. There's others. Listen on the radio. There's others. Rumors. Ideas about who Jesus is. What do you do with all of these? Test them. Don't believe them all. Test them to see whether they're true, whether they're from God. That's the whole of the message today. That's 1 John 4, 1 through 3 that we're looking at today. And listen, we pay each other, I hope, at least the common courtesy when you hear a very unusual rumor about someone you trust. I hope you'll pay them the common courtesy of confirming that <laughs> before you eat it up and believe it of a certainty. Perhaps it's invented. If that's just common courtesy we give each other to test claims about each other. How much more should we test the claims that we find about Jesus? Don't believe all of them just because they're stated very sincerely. Instead, we test them. What we are talking about today is a biblical practice that is essential to your survival as a Christian. It is called discernment. And we find it right here in our text as we start chapter 4. So let me read this. 1 John chapter 4, the first three verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Here's the test. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John does not want you to be gullible about Jesus. There is a kind of open-mindedness that's healthy. As we get older, we tend to get crustier and get more closed-minded, even about neutral, natural things. There is a kind of open-mindedness we should always preserve in ourselves, but there's also an excessive open-mindedness that, as has been said by others before, your mind is so open that your brain falls out. And what John is trying to prevent is just that thing. Don't be gullible with all of the claims you hear about who Jesus is. We should be like children in our open and enthusiastic embrace of the truth. But like Paul said, though we're to be like children in our sincerity, in our thinking, we are to be adults, not gullible. 
Or as Jesus put it, you need to be as innocent as a dove. Don't be critical and cruel. Be innocent as a dove. But you need to be shrewd as a serpent. Today, God is interested in protecting you from the gullibility that makes you pray to the millions of rumors about him and his word and his son and his spirit, which are spread strewn all about the world. And all of them are appealing to you to come and to believe them. And God, because he cares about you as his little flock, wants to protect you from those wolves who dress them up like, dress themselves up like sheep. And so he gives us a text like this, so that you don't have to wander away from the truth into myths. You don't have to. You can hold to the truth of Christ as given in the scriptures. You can, you will, you must. And so our text today, really, it's a command that you do that. It is a command that you be discerning. And then if you wonder, how do you do that? The rest of the text is simply the method how you discern. So the command, discern, and then the method, how do you discern when people make claims about Jesus? So let's look at this text under those two headings and so begin just with the command itself. You are commanded, you, to be discerning when it comes to things that are said about specifically Jesus, but this can apply to God, to the scriptures, to anything spiritual, any part of the Christian life, you are commanded to be discerning. Look how this passage begins. Beloved, and this is you in our context, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because... For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So beloved, and then negatively, don't believe everything you hear. And then positively, test what you hear to find out if it's from God. Now before we get into that negative positive of what you're called to do in being discerning, I do want to draw your attention for a moment to the very first word of our text because it's easy to skim over but it's actually one of the more unexpected words in a text like ours. Notice it says, beloved. Beloved. You see the word love in that word? Say, so what are we talking about this morning? Discernment, false teachers, error. And you know what else we're talking about? Love. You might not think those go together. John does. Beloved, be discerning. It's important to point this out because you probably are aware that discernment has fallen on very hard times in our day because we don't want to be unkind. And many of us have encountered people or even discernment ministries, some are good, but you can encounter sorts of discernment ministries or persons who've dedicated themselves to pointing out false teachers in the church and in the culture and in the world. And you find that in them there is sometimes a very critical, cruel, and unkind spirit, very uncharitable in its judgment. Judgments, very unkind, friendly fire toward other believers on things that you say, I think you just misunderstood that, but calling out heresy where there is no heresy. And when we encounter something like that, our temptation, and this is sort of culturally, we swing back and forth, and this is where we seem to be swinging now, culturally, the temptation is to swing over into, let's not call anybody out about what they claim about Jesus. If there's a sincerity in them, if they really believe it, and they say, and they can kind of connect it, sort of, to a Bible verse, maybe, 
in a certain translation, possibly, then who are you to go and say that's wrong? You don't want to end up like those critical people, do you? So there can be this sort of attitude in us that prevents us, especially if you're younger, but sort of prevents us from wanting to speak boldly and firmly when someone says something about Jesus that's just not true. So what's really important, the very first thing right here in this passage is for you to have a conviction in your mind that yes, it is true. There is a certain sort of twisted person who delights in calling out other people. It gives them a sense of superiority, whatever. I don't know what's going on, but you encounter that. You've seen the blogs and you've seen, while that may be true, that does not release you from your responsibility. You are commanded to test the spirits. And the idea of spirits here is in that day, prophet or a teacher. You could really, for us, just put in the word teacher there. Test the teachers. Test the article you read online. Test the podcasts you listen to. Test the sermon that somebody sent you. Test the idea someone just presented to you about Jesus or God. Test it. You realize this is a command. And secondly, if you have any sense at all that to be discerning, to question whether what someone has said about Jesus is true, even if they're sincere, to think, well, that can't be loving. Well, you're wrong. Because look, John says, beloved. What motivates John to give us these verses about discernment? He's been talking about love. Love each other, indeed and in truth. Wonderful. Why does he find it necessary to hit pause, turn over here and say, by the way, people are going to tell you all kinds of things about Jesus that are not true, and you need to say those are not true and not follow them. Say, well, John, isn't that very unloving? No, what's his first word? I tell you this because I love you. Beloved. Love and discernment, you don't always find them together, but you should. They go together. Don't think you can have one and not the other of these things. In fact, the best kind of discernment for you, the safest path for you to discern error is for a discernment that grows out of a soil of love. Love for God and love for each other. If you have that sort of heart, it's going to protect you quite a bit and help you to be discerning. This is worth mentioning because, for example, you know, if you've read the Bible very much, that in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, there are many times that God's servants, Jesus, his apostles, prophets in the Old Testament, John the Baptist, will say things against for those who believe false things about Jesus. They'll say things in the firmest possible way, ways that are shocking, calling people children of the devil. And there are certain personalities that only see those passages and think that's a model for how I need to talk to everybody I disagree with. New, no, no, it's not. But that is a part of the Bible. Jesus gives his powerful woes against the Pharisees. And I don't think he said it like, woe to you Pharisees, shouldn't do that. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tie up burdens and you put them on men's shoulders and you won't touch them with a finger. That's what Jesus says in Scripture, and that's just a part of it. But, I want to remind you, it's the same Jesus who, when he found both moral and serious theological error in a Samaritan woman at a well, he was willing not only to engage in conversation with her, but gently 
to pull her toward living water, to invite her. She changes the subject from her sin. He continues to invite her. Notice Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. And then he doesn't go to the woman at the well and say, woe to you woman at the well, because you believe error. He tells her frankly, he tells her openly, you're wrong in your thoughts about me, the Messiah, you're wrong. You're a Samaritan, you have a wrong view, a wrong Pentateuch, wrong ideas. And yet you see that Jesus isn't always smashing people with truth. There is a time for that, but it's not the model for all your interactions with others. So whichever way you happen to lean, and we all lean one way or the other, you may lean into the hard, strong statements, then you need to see Jesus with the woman at the well and see that love goes with discernment, beloved discern. And if you're the sort of person where you'll never say a strong, hard thing to anybody, you just want to love everybody, kumbaya, then you need to see that love goes with discernment. But you see that even in our passage, beloved discern. Love and discernment, they certainly go together. Again, if you need another example, you're aware that Paul, the apostle, writing to the Galatians, says strong things like, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I don't recommend you say that to people regularly. And yet that is something that Paul said. But notice, I wish those who unsettle you because I love you, and I don't want you to be led astray by these Judaizers coming in to lead you astray. Notice there is a love in Paul for the people, and that produces the strong statements. When you see strong statements in the New Testament, and they're there, and the Old, you have to realize it is not just someone who's personally ticked off at someone else. That's usually when our strong statements come out and decorate them as we will in holy bearings or whatever. It's usually just we're upset. You've either upset my idol like Justin's talked about or something else. And so I'm going to give it to you and I'll defend it because look what Paul said and look what Jesus said. But when Jesus spoke strongly or John the Baptist or Paul or the prophets, there was actually underneath the cauldron, there was a fire of love. It was heating it. That's what was happening. It, their hearts were heated up by love. I love that they felt, and most often the strong statements that are made in the New Testament are made against those who are, number one, stubborn, stubborn. The woman at the well, she's confused. The Pharisees are stubborn. And number two, you're more likely to get these strong statements made against people whose evil doing negatively impacts large numbers of people. That's why the religious leaders get treated differently than the women at the well, because they are fleecing the flock. They are taking advantage of others in a way that's devastating to the others. Again, it is a motivation of love. When you have Paul rebuking Elymas the magician on the island of Cyprus, and he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. It was right for Paul to say that. But why? Because Elymas the magician was trying to distract Sergius Paulus, the proconsul of that island, from hearing and believing the gospel. Love for this proconsul, zeal for the Lord, therefore strong words against this stubborn Elymas or Bar Jesus, the magician. Beloved, discern. Beloved, Discern. Do you think of love and discernment as different? Don't do that. You need them both. 
we love, we discern what God has joined together, let no man separate. Those two go together. So that's just a first observation here. But now let's get into this discernment. Because that's the command. Don't believe every teacher. Test them. Discern them. Let's look at that now. Here in the text. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So if it's true that you will have some people who will make mountains out of molehills and accuse, it's also true that some people will make molehills out of mountains when there is a serious error. A lot of what I've felt that I've been doing the last several years has been finding knobs that someone's turned up to 11 and turning them down to 5. <laughs> Say, mm, this is an important issue, but it's not quite an 11 important issue. It's a 5 important issue. But if that's true, the reverse is also true. That we have to be careful that we don't have our knob of discernment set on 5 when there's a true heresy. A true doctrinal error. A true threat to the gospel. Then you need to turn that up to 11. Don't believe it. But discern it. Test it. Like I said, spirit here. Let's think of that as a teacher. It's a spirit in a person teaching in this case. And he says in the negative, do not believe every teacher. Do you believe every teacher that you hear on the radio, in a church, they are dressed nicely, if they seem to have a good position of authority, if they seem to have a Bible and they use big words, you believe everything they say, every teacher, stop doing that. He says here, don't be gullible. Being gullible sometimes feels nice. So you're like, I'm not judging anybody. It will destroy your spiritual life. Just imagine if you tried to do the opposite of what he commanded. He says, don't believe every teacher. What if you tried to live your life in such a way that you believed every teacher? So there are some 120,000 people in Evansville. I don't know how many churches. My best guess is two or 300 maybe in and around Evansville. If you were to go into different churches or ask people their opinions about Jesus, or even go to churches where he's being spoken about, go to all of these, all of them, for the most part, most of them, are going to confess to being Christians and will confess to have some ideas about Jesus. If you wanted to say, I'm going to believe everything that everyone tells me about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, I'm not just saying don't do that. I'm saying you can't do that because there's such different ideas about Jesus. If you visited churches in any part of the country, anywhere in the world, you know that this is true. Different presentations of who Jesus is and what he came to do. This very morning, there are many, many churches across the country who are preaching a message about a Jesus whose primary interest in coming into the world was to get rid of your sicknesses and to move you up to the next socioeconomic level. And that's what he came to do. That's Jesus. He's bent on doing that for you. And all he requires of you is to believe hard enough in him. And he will do that. And I tell you, that's not Jesus. So you might even feel like, well, I want to believe everybody. But look, moment of crisis. You can't believe me and them. And that's just one example. There is a spectrum of things taught about Jesus. You can't believe every spirit. It's not possible because there's contradictions among what these presentations of Jesus, who he really is. 
Some lean toward what we will call uh, ecumenism. It's this idea that we want to best we can, and we should be generous in our judgments. Don't be cruel in your judgments. Give people the benefit of the doubt. But an ecumenism often will try to reach its arms around as many people claiming to be Christian as possible, even if the viewpoints on Jesus are quite different. Say, surely there's some way we can reconcile them and bring them together? You can't. You can't. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of minor points at which sincere, genuine believers can disagree. We work together to get a picture of Jesus, but... There are also massive mountains of different between what one person and another believes about Jesus. Those cannot be reconciled. Listen, Jesus, he's either the son of God who is God himself or he's not. That's like a binary decision. He is or he's not. And it's a, like a light switch. You could try to put it in the middle. It's not going to do anything. You either flip it up or you're going to flip it down. It's not sliding. Many of these claims about Jesus are like that. One of them's a rumor, one of them's true. So John says, don't believe them both at the same time. Don't believe everybody with every claim. Test them to find out which one is true. Now, you might think this seems pretty pessimistic, a little narrow-minded, a little like this. Are you really claiming that there are a lot of people out there teaching false things about Jesus? How do you know? Maybe most people out there are teaching great true things and you just happen to disagree. Well, look at our text. Why should you not believe every spirit? He tells you, for, in the text, for, this is the reason, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And listen, me as much as you, I, I would like it to be a few. I would like it to be some here and there. One bad egg over there. And mostly good eggs. I want it to be that way. I have zero delight in any false teaching anywhere. We would rather every false teacher repent and teach what's true according to Scripture. So we take no perverse delight in any error in anyone. We don't exalt ourselves up by pointing them down, stepping upon them to feel better about ourselves. None of that. But we are going to take this passage seriously. The reason you don't believe everyone's claims about Jesus is because many, many, that's the word, it's in your Bible. It's right there. It's in ink. There. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not a few, but many of them have. That's why you can't believe everyone. We feel like Moses in the Old Testament. Oh, that all God's people were prophets with the Spirit of God who could speak the truth. We don't want there to be false teachers, but there is. And because there are false teachers, don't just believe any old buddy but what do you do? Test the spirits. See whether they're from God. Well, how do you do that? John answers, and that's the rest of this passage. We don't want to be gullible, and we don't want to be led astray, but there has to be someone to arbitrate between all the views of Jesus that are out there. It's not enough for me to get all excited up here, try to convince you I'm right, because <laughs> there's a lot of false teachers getting just as excited in other places. How are we going to arbitrate between who's true and who's false? And John tells us in the rest of this passage, he says at the beginning of verse 2, by this you know. You want to know what's a rumor about Jesus and what's true? Well, by this you know. By what? He tells us. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit 
that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. False teachers will teach false about many different points of doctrine. But John just focuses it upon one. Christology. Your view of Jesus. That's the whole focus here. Just that one teaching. And the reason he can do that. Notice even in our text. He states it differently in the parallel. He says true spirits. True teachers are going to confess. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But then afterward when he talks about false teachers. He says they do not confess. Jesus. (laughs) That's shorthand. Really, both of those are shorthand because in other parts of 1 John, he talks about having to confess Jesus as the Son of God. So there are other pieces of truth, but the thing is, they're all focused on Jesus himself. The focus of John here is the way you can discern truth and error in a teacher is when they are teaching about Jesus, does the data they're presenting about Jesus correspond to the testimony of the apostles John and his companions, does it correspond to the testimony of the apostles which we have contained for us in the Bible? That's how you know. So he picks one piece of information that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that Jesus is the Christ, I guess that's another piece, and that he's come in the flesh because that's what was being denied in his context. But you could take any number of essential truths about Jesus. You take it, Here's the rumor flying around. Jesus is. Take it. Put it by your Bible. Does this confirm it or deny it? That's how you test. It's pretty simple, actually. So think about, really, all the most serious errors in doctrine. Not just more minor disagreements. Not even important disagreements, but we can still be believers and disagree about it. But I'm talking about core disagreements that if you deny these facts... You're not a believer. One of those set of ideas is what we call the Trinity. This is something true about God. And the early hundreds of years of the church was focused on how should we think of the being of God. There's one God. We're monotheists. But clearly in the Bible, one, two, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do we think about that? Now notice, you might say, well, that has not much to do with Jesus. Actually, it does. Because if you just look at what a false teacher is teaching about Jesus, you'll know almost most of the time what he thinks about the Trinity. Because a false teacher either thinks or doesn't think that Jesus is God. Many, many false teachers today deny the deity, the Godhead, the Godness of Jesus. Anyone who firmly denies that Jesus is God is a false teacher. That is a spirit that is not from God. But you see, that's focused on Jesus. It's a discussion of the Trinity, but you can just focus your mind on what are they teaching about Jesus. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Church of Science, on and on and on, all claim Jesus is not from God, is not God. Jesus is not God. And so we can take that, put it by the scripture, and say that's false. You have discerned a spirit by doing that. 
again, take some other point of doctrine like salvation, redemption. Everything comes down once more to Jesus. Whether we're talking about Trinity, we're talking about salvation. You can just focus your attention. What do they teach about Jesus? Because salvation is centered on Jesus. Did Jesus actually come into the world, preexistent as God forever, come into the world in the incarnation? That's what John's talking about. He's come in the flesh with an actual body like this. Did that happen factually and actually? And you say, of course it did. There are many, many many Christians in this country this morning saying it didn't. Don't believe him. He came in the flesh. He died upon the cross. And let me ask you, when Jesus died in the flesh upon the cross, was he satisfying the wrath of God? Did God make him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become right with God through him? Did that happen? Well, that's what the Bible claims and that is not what thousands and thousands of churches this morning are proclaiming. So you take what they're saying about Jesus and you take the Bible and you say, it's not true. Did he really resurrect? Did he really come back alive? Thousands, millions of people on our planet don't believe that's true. Even of those who believe he died. Did he come back alive? Yes, he did. Discern the Spirit's. What do they teach about Jesus? That's the heart of it. We could talk about Trinitarian theology. We can talk about salvific theology and how that works. But you can, to make it simpler, like John does in this passage, he just focuses upon Jesus. Do they confess Jesus? Now notice that in our passage he says, those spirits that are not from God do not confess Jesus. But I hope you can see pretty clearly, even by the parallel before, Jesus come in the flesh that he's not just saying, well, you'll know a false teacher because they'll say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> it's not that easy. You have to ask, what don't they believe about Jesus? And what do they believe about Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this is a touchstone for you to just keep with you. As you watch YouTube videos, as you listen to podcasts, as you listen to sermons, mine as well, as you listen to sermons, as you read books that people recommend for you, as someone's talking in the workroom about Jesus or their ideas on religion, here's your touchstone. Here's what you use, your litmus test. Here's what you use to test. Is this true or not? Just go straight to Jesus. Say, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about his Godhood? What do you believe about what he accomplished in coming into the world and dying and resurrecting? And you'll find that if someone has an orthodox view of Jesus, in almost maybe every case, almost every case, probably every case, they're not a false teacher. And if they have a, not an orthodox true view of Jesus, they're a false teacher. Let that be the test for you. Look, this should be an encouragement because if you try to go out into all the realms of theology and philosophy that false teachers come with, and oftentimes false teachers are very smart, and they have all these new interpretations and all these very lofty ideas, the Gnostics certainly did, and you try to figure out what is wrong here, what is wrong here, I can't even figure out this numerology, I'm not smart enough to figure out all of these things. You know what? Turn your attention to Jesus, more simply, and just ask those simple 
questions. If you're uncertain, hmm, is this false teaching? Yes, sometimes we have to do quite a bit of digging, but to be honest, little Timmy knows. You say, little Timmy, is Jesus God? Yes. All right. He knows more than thousands of teachers who've got PhDs. He knows that Jesus is God, so that's pretty simple, right? Okay. Go down here, find a three-year-old walking down the hallway after service. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For our sins. All right. Take that as your touchstone. If you have some PhD, quite qualified, false teacher who has a very elaborate theory about the atonement, changing it up, just say, you need to come to my church and talk to the three-year-old <laughs> down this hallway. And you'll figure it out. The idea here is to give you a confidence that you don't have to figure out every piece of theology. We're grateful for those God calls, usually in academic settings, to figure those things out and refute error. But you can stay safe by just keeping your gaze upon Jesus and the simple truths you know about Jesus from the Bible. Don't let anybody try to trip you up because they wear a suit and they say big words you don't understand. Say, listen, I don't know what words you're using. Those are fancy and very nice. But is Jesus God? <laughs> just ask that. Is Jesus God? Well, okay, no. False teacher. <laughs> False teacher. We don't go with that. Did Jesus die on the cross to satisfy God's wrath for my sin? Well, about that. All right. Not going to listen. We're done. False teacher. Now, the reason false teaching is such a danger for us is because a lot of false teachers are so smart and in other areas of life show themselves to be quite intelligent, often more intelligent than us. So it's hard for us sometimes to imagine if they're sincere and they're smart, how could they possibly be teaching such false things about Jesus? John answers that objection in your mind right in this passage. He wants you to know that when you encounter false teachings about Jesus, they're not by accident, they're by design. He says right here at the end of our passage, this, the one denying the true Jesus, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We've spoken about the Antichrist. John has, chapter 2, he said, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist, capital A, Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, the false teachers. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. And then right after, he stated that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, so there's yet another criteria, is he the Christ, the Messiah, is, quote, the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. We won't be covering 2 John, but in 2 John, John will write, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then he adds, Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. There is the capital A Antichrist, a figure who will come at the return of Jesus to try to deceive the nation. So he comes later. But John wants to make clear that there is a spirit, an attitude, a spirit of the Antichrist already at work in this world. So when you encounter rumors about Jesus, go to church, 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 rumors about Jesus, the prosperity gospel dominating continents. When you hear about these things, go, how is this gaining such traction when it's so clearly against the teaching of the New Testament? It's not by accident. Satan is at work in the world 
If you have a friend who is captured by Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower, Church of Science, or another cult, and you look at sometimes the origins of these cults and you go, how could anyone ever believe this? And you have a friend who's very intelligent and in other areas of life may have great common sense. You say, how are they swept up into this false teaching so clearly against the apostolic testimony? Because the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. He's not resting. He's not chilling. The spirit of the Antichrist is actively working to deceive. That's why rumors about Jesus, which should be easy to dispute, some of them are so nonsensical and far-fetched. Scientology, some things get so crazy you think it would be easy. No one will ever fall for it. If you've ever been part of a cult, and some of us have, if you've ever been part of a cult, you know what it's like to fall for it. And it becomes very convincing. How is that possible? The spirit of the Antichrist. Satan at work in the world. Look, family of God, if you see Christ simply and as he truly is in the scriptures, blessed are your eyes because they see. It's rare. Not everyone does. There are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. There are many false teachers and many, even most, who follow them. Jesus said the way to eternal life, it is a narrow way. The way to destruction is broad. You see Jesus Christ as he is. You listen to the three-year-old in the hallway and you believe that, that that's true, that Jesus is God, very God and very man. You see Jesus as that. You see Jesus coming in the flesh, a true incarnation, bearing our very bodies, taking them onto the cross, satisfying the wrath of God for us. You don't think that's some kind of divine child abuse. You don't ridicule it and throw it away. You embrace it as your only hope for eternal life. You see Jesus as the one who really resurrected who is exalted and seated at the right hand of God and you believe that he's going to return to judge the quick and the dead? You believe that? Blessed are your eyes because they see. And if anyone brings you a different report, a different gospel, a rumor about Jesus that doesn't align with what you know from the scriptures, don't believe every teaching but test every teaching to know whether it's from God. Let's pray. Jesus, today we reaffirm our belief in the very simple facts of the gospel of you as you've revealed yourself. We are not believing in mere abstract principles of theology, a mere order of salvation, some ceremony to perform to attain heaven and paradise, that's not for us. We're not following some unusual diagram drawn on a YouTube video behind some teacher. We are following you. And we're following you as you've revealed yourself kindly in the scriptures. I pray for us all individually. It is possible that not all of us will follow you to the end and prove to be disciples. It's possible that some of us will be swept away into cults, into progressive theology that denies the truth of Scripture, into false teaching. It's possible. But Lord, I beg you that it would not be true. And I pray you would help us always to be children in our simple gospel that we believe and mature adults in our thinking. And that you would protect us as a local church 
For there are always wolves in sheep's clothing coming into this assembly as in all who would lead astray your people. God, please protect us. Give wisdom to the leadership, but also just wisdom to all of your people who are here to test the spirits, not to believe them all, but to be discerning with a kind and charitable spirit that we may hold fast the gospel we've received firm to the end and receive our reward. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.